Support for WRFA is brought to you by Quadrant Biosciences, now providing no-cost COVID testing in Chautauqua County. Quadrant Biosciences has partnered with Chautauqua County to provide free COVID testing. For more information on how to schedule an appointment, visit quadrantbiosciences.com slash COVID testing. Support for WRFA is also brought to you by Southern Chautauqua Federal Credit Union. Southern Chautauqua Federal Credit Union provides credit union membership to people who live, work, worship, attend school, do business, and any other entities within Chautauqua County. For more information, including how to become a member, call or text 716-665-7000 or visit them on the web at 665-7000.com. Jamestown City Council awarded $277,750 in American Rescue Plan funds to the Chautauqua Watershed Conservancy at its December voting session. The money will be used for Phase 1 of the Chattacoin River Stabilization Project. We spoke with CWC Ecological Restoration Manager Twan Leanders about what's happening with the Chattacoin River and why the stabilization project is important. We have here in the studio with us Chautauqua Watershed Conservancy Ecological Restoration Manager Twan Leanders. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So in December, you made a presentation before Jamestown City Council on the state of what we're calling the Lower Chattaquain River. And this is a section that flows east of the Warner Dam. Just a couple of weeks later, City Council acted to fund phase one of a stabilization project of the river. The presentation you gave to Council was, was very visual. And I want to have you come in to talk to us about what is going on with the Chattaquain River and why the stabilization project is so important. So that I think that's a, a, a quite of a great lead in. So to talk <laughs> about uh, what is happening right now with the river. Sure, I'd be happy to. And unfortunately, I can't share the visuals here very easily. But um, anybody who is familiar with the Chattacoin River knows that you know, it's a beautiful river. It's 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 the outflow of Chautauqua Lake, right? So it, it, it's Chautauqua Lake in linear form going through Jamestown. And um, there's about five and a half miles of the river within city, city limits. <clears throat> and it's sort of arbitrarily divided, not necessarily arbitrarily, but there's a Warner Dam in there, which is an important structure in the river. It's the water control structure that determines to some degree the lake level. If you open the lake or if you open a dam, the lake level will drop. If you close the dam, the lake level will go up. So in the summer months, the Warner Dam is being used to partially control the lake level. It's also used to prevent any kind of flooding. So if too much water is coming down, a lot of rain is in the forecast, snow is melting, um, the Warner Dam is preemptively opened to make sure water flows out of the lake and through the Shadowcoin River and through Jamestown. So historically, um, the upper section, I'm sort of arbitrarily calling this upper and lower Shadowcoin, but the Warner Dam is a divider because it seems to kind of handy for, for discussion's sake here. Um, the upper river, so upstream from Warner Dam, has received quite a lot of attention and resources and funding um, because it's seen as sort of the extension of Chautauqua Lake. It's it's how people get from Chautauqua Lake into Jamestown, into downtown Jamestown, um, using kayaks and um, small watercraft, even if you really were brave enough to try that. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful ride going through the outlet and going into the city. It's fascinating. Um, but the lower Shadowcoin has really been ignored for what seems to be decades, unfortunately. And it's the same river, right? It's the same extension of the lake. So it's the same water, it's the same quality, it's the same opportunities really for economic development as well. But this section is three and a half mile section of the lower Shadowcoin, so downstream from Warner Dam to the Falconer town line, um, has unfortunately seen just neglect. It's just, it's nothing more than that. It's just time. And um, a few issues that I've 
hitters in the last few years that have really come to a head here now. So the um, the arrival of Emerald Ashbor, this this beetle that's been attacking a lot of our trees in the region, um, they arrived probably ten years ago by now. Um, but it wasn't until three or four years ago that the impact of it was really becoming noticeable. So this little beetle, this Asian beetle that came in into the Falconer area after a tornado came through and actually stressed a section of, of ash trees there, um, somehow this beetle spread through the region, as invasive species do, and has been infecting all of our ash trees. And across the county, really, um, between 20 and 25% of our trees are ash trees. So you can imagine one in every four trees is impacted. And in the last few years, this emerald ash borer really did a number on our ash trees. So you'll see, you see them everywhere in the city. If they haven't been removed yet, you see these beautiful trees, just dead branches in the crown, crowns are falling down, branches are coming out, the bark is sloughing off. Um, so this has been happening all over the region, and it's not just here, it's, it's, it's East Coast wide. Um, but the result of that is that a lot of trees, like one in four of our trees have been dying or are dead have fallen over or partially fallen over and have in a lot of cases fallen into the river because the river of course is in our landscape at the bottom of often pretty steep slopes so you know gravity kicks in branches roll down logs roll down they just end up in the river and uh, once they hit the water they might float for a little while and get snagged somewhere because there are places where the river just kind of catches things um, so we, we have a situation now where we have a lot of trees that are dead and dying on the banks that are about to fall into the river. We have a lot of trees that have fallen in the river already. And um, there are huge dams, huge dams, huge obstructions in the river right now. So um, that is really the first phase of this project is to just clean that out. Because what we're dealing with right now is that, you know, the upper section of the river is clean. Um, I've, I've cleaned this out with some other community partners in the last few years, did exactly the same thing, actually removed a lot of dead trees there um, just to improve the flow of the water through the river and to make sure that trash and other things don't get snagged and also to, renew, to reduce any kind of hazards for, um, for recreational water use. You know, fishing lines gets caught on these snags. Um, boaters might potentially bump into logs and um, you can't always see them because sometimes they're underwater. So they're, they're potentially dangerous. Um, so the first phase that just was funded for this project really will be just that, to actually clean out the river, improve the flow, which we really need because the river has been really high for a long time. Um, and then there's several other phases after that that will sort of logically follow after the initial cleanup. Before we talk about the other phases, uh, you've mentioned that there was work that you've done with our partners on the upper part of Chattaquan. You've been actively involved in bank stabilization on the Chattaquan River for several years now, including when you were at Roger Tory Peterson Institute. Mm -hmm. So what are, are you envisioning that some of what you've done on the upper Chattaquan is similar to work you hope to do in the future on the lower Chattaquan? Oh, absolutely, yes. So um, the Chattaquan River, you know, put it, I'm kind of oversimplifying here, but <laughs> Along the length of the river, the banks are either not stabilized at all, and they're essentially what we call city soils. They're, they're unconsolidated soils. They're essentially fill. You know, they're you know, there's hundred plus years of city living and use. You know, everywhere along the river, the river has always been a big driver of the economy. So that's always where people want to live and where they want to build their businesses, right? So things have happened along the river for a long time. Um, you know. Areas were changed, uh, fill was brought in to, to stabilize buildings or whatever needed to be done there. So that's one type of stabilization, if you will, is lack of stabilization, I guess. Um, the other type of stabilization you see throughout the city too is, is retaining walls. 
And there too, you know, you put a wall in the river essentially to kind of keep the river where you want it to go. Um, but a lot of these retaining walls are 100 plus years old, right? So they don't live, they don't live forever. And um, <clears throat> so that's sort of the reality that we're dealing with. So um, some of the projects that I've worked on and I'm currently still working on uh, upstream from the dam um, include, for example, the stabilization of the, um, the BPU side of the Shadikoin Basin. Um, which is probably the, the biggest one. I'm currently working with the BPU to actually redo a section of their um, um, shoreline by the power plant as well. They had to remove some retaining walls, like steel retaining walls that were failing, just old, needed to be replaced. And they were um, fortunately interested enough to actually do it right, so not replace an old-fashioned stabilization method with another old-fashioned stabilization method and just watching it fail over time. So. In all the places where we've worked so far, the idea has been to actually replace traditional stabilization or bank stabilization methods with what we call living shorelines, where we're actually um, essentially bringing nature to the shores because that's what's originally there before we put James on here, right? So, um, unconsolidated fill, you know, unstabilized soils just wash away. You know, unconsolidated really meaning there's really nothing that holds it together. So, any rainstorm, any kind of scrape scratch that you make on the surface that keeps it together exposes the soil and rain and gravity will just wash it in the river so you're you're losing your bank and you're creating erosion so you're also um impacting negatively impacting the water quality whatever's in that soil goes into the river right and it goes down the river and whatever tries to live in the river is being impacted by what falls in the retaining walls work but they only work where you put the retaining walls so any, anytime you put a hard structure in the water, you're fixing one spot and you're essentially moving your problems to your neighbor's property. So the first property that's not stabilized, that doesn't have a wall in it, is going to bear the impact of what you just tried to prevent because the water flows by there. The energy of the water will carry the soil away. That's your bank. And um, if you stop that from happening, the water will just flow downstream to the first next spot that's not stabilized and it doesn't have a wall and that's where the damage will occur. And over time, water gets into everything. It goes behind everything. So a lot of our retaining walls um, are currently undercut because if the flow doesn't, if the flow goes past the wall, sometimes it goes underneath the wall too and you can't even see it. So a lot of these walls are undercut. Once the water goes behind it, it just eats away at the soil behind it. And then you have an orphan wall standing in the water with current on both sides. That's happening in some places in the river too, which is terrifying when you think about it. Um, so uh, uh, the idea is really to, to really assess as part of this larger project, to assess the entire river, the entire length of the river, map out what kind of stabilization we have and where, and, um, and then prioritize what needs to be done. There will be a lot more work that needs to be done once this project is done. But at this point in time, we don't really know what needs to be done, what it's going to cost, how urgent some of these projects are. So a lot of it is really identifying the issues, mapping out the banks of the river. And when you think about it, there's three and a half miles of river between the Warner Dam and the Falconer Line. So there's two banks on each side of the river, right? So you got seven miles of shoreline, seven miles of shoreline that we don't even know what shape it's in. All we know is that it's not good right now. So to go back to your earlier question, um, the idea is really to uh, where feasible and where it, where it makes sense to replace some of these traditional stabilization methods or lack of stabilization with what we call living shorelines, which is really using nature to stabilize these banks. Um, 
<clears throat> and, and it really comes down to planting the right kind of plant on these banks to provide the conditions that these plants can grow. And then to, and to also then add the right mixture of plants that can grow with their feet in the water if they need to when the water comes up sometimes. Um, that can stand being out of the water when the water level drops, for example, for a certain period of time. Um, but that primarily actually roots really deeply. That's the key thing. So just about everything that grows on the riverbanks right now doesn't belong here. They're mostly invasive plant species. You see them everywhere. Japanese knotweed along the highways everywhere. You know, honeysuckle, these big scrubby bushes. Um, you name it, like all the big invasives are here. And they just take over. They're sort of a result of being alongside of a river where the seeds get carried by the water and they just kind of spread along this sort of linear pathway. Um, they're also sort of a result of the fact that a lot of our trees have died, so the tree canopies are gone, so more sunlight hits the banks and that creates the conditions that's good for these invasive species. Um, but the invasive species that, you know, love them or hate them, they're, they're really successful at what they do. So by the time they have a foothold somewhere, they just spread and spread and spread and they outcompete everything that we'd like to have there. So another section of this, another portion of this, this project really is to remove those invasives and then replace them with native planting. So ultimately the river will look more beautiful. It'll be more stable. It'll have native plants on there, which will benefit native wildlife. It'll benefit our climate. It's, it'll benefit our climate resiliency in this city because we have plants living here that belong here. So they, we don't need to pamper them with fertilizers and all kinds of man-made help. It, they, they are the plants that are supposed to be here, that used to be here to begin with. The, the best thing about it is that living shorelines, not only are stable shorelines and provide habitat, they're beautiful, but they're resilient. So if you have a log falling in the river and it floats down the river and it hits an unconsolidated bank, it's going to take a big chunk out of it and then expose the soil and it's going to create more erosion. If it hits a retaining wall, it might crack it and then cause the retaining wall to fail. Um, and then you have to fix that at whatever cost. And living shorelines, if those get damaged, you know, they're alive. You know, they fix themselves. They grow right back. So if we provide the right conditions and we do it right once, you know, we'll have a resilient shoreline that can last us for a long time. And it has so many corollary benefits as well. So it's by far the most cost efficient, but also the most resilient and the most beautiful way to actually stabilize our shores. So projects we've done so far upstream are really demonstration projects of what it could be looking like once we finish the entire river. Right. So if uh, I walk the Riverwalk a lot, and if you go to the Riverwalk that's along the um, South Basin, we call it forward where the BPU is, you can see the work you've done. You, some people might say, well, what is that thing floating out in the, in the middle there? It's got, <laughs> there's a fencing around it in one section over by Panzarella Park, which is where if you're in the BPU parking lot and you take that little bridge over to that section of land that's in the water, that's Panzarella Park. Now everyone knows its name. But then there's a little demonstration project over there. So there's a lot that people can kind of get a, a look at to see, okay, this is what has been done so far and look forward to what could be done. So, but there's one thing I want, I want to come back to the invasive species because you mentioned <clears throat> one particular invasive species. People may say, well, it sounds nice. You know, we want to bring native plants in, but you mentioned one tree, the tree of heaven mm -hmm. that is spread. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, if it's a tree, it's holding in the bank, it's doing a good job. Why should we be worried about it? Well, there's other things that come with Tree of Heaven. And I thought it'd be good for you to talk to listeners about that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So so we have plenty of invasives here, but and we keep getting new ones. And a, a fairly recent arrival is this Tree of Heaven, which sounds like a great thing to have, but it's not. Um, it, it's, it's a... Um, 
It's an invasive species that used to be sold as an ornamental. It kind of looks like sumac a little bit. The, the shape is kind of similar, but it, it grows into a full tree size. And um, it's a species that in the last probably three years, I've been seeing increasingly throughout the city and especially actually along the banks of the Shadowcoin River. Um, there's a few sections where there's an awful lot of it already. Um, the, the Fireman's Training Center, for example, in Harrison Street has a lot of it right along the side of the banks there. Um, Tree of Heaven is nearly impossible to kill. Like if you want to get rid of it, you have to really follow a very strict regimen of cutting and actually injecting chemicals into the trunk. We're not spraying anything, but you have to actually inject it directly into the trunk to make sure that it goes into the roots. Tree of Heaven has the habit of um, um, what we call sucker spreading. If you if you cut the trunk, it just grows back from the roots in like tenfold. So the more you cut it, the more you get. Um, so you need some really targeted um, efforts to make sure you get rid of this because it, it, it'll just multiply. Um, it, it tends to grow in really exposed um, sunny spots so it likes to actually be on top of the bangs and it seems to right now especially grow on top of the retaining walls. The roots will just burrow right through and crack the walls. Um, but the added um, disadvantage of Tree of Heaven is that it's also the host plant for the spotted lanternfly. Spotted lanternfly is a is a bug that has is also invasive and it's spreading like wildfire through uh, Pennsylvania right now. Um, it's everywhere south of us. It's into New York east of us, but it's not here yet. Um, having this one invasive tree here pretty much puts a, a giant uh, attractant <laughs> right in the middle of the city to bring in another pest that. Uh, has been decimating agriculture all around us and not here yet. So invasive species are really tough to deal with. You know, we, if you look at Chautauqua Lake, you know, we can talk for hours about invasive mm -hmm. species there, but but there are some hard and fast rules for invasive species removal. Um, and uh, there's sort of a sequence in which you can attack these kind of new arrivals. And you know, we, if you hit them really hard early on when they're, when they're still in a manageable number, you have a fighting chance of getting ahead of it and getting rid of them. By the time they're truly established, you're rather than getting into a removal mindset, you're in sort of a maintenance mindset at that point. You try to just kind of keep it as it is because you can't get rid of them anymore. And um, once they grow out of control, then you know you can keep throwing money at it. You're just too late. So um, this is the time we need to get rid of them now. Right, yeah. well, because with the spotted lanternflies, it decimates agriculture. It goes after you know grapevines, fruit yes. trees, and and we know that's a big part of agriculture, especially in the western part of the county. And uh, and I know I've seen. I think in Virginia and Pennsylvania, they actually even have whole campaigns that if you see them, kill them, which is not usually something we hear from from uh, uh, forestry or government offices, you know, so it's, it is pretty serious. It is. And, and uh, our, our city arborist and, and parks director, Dan Stone, mentioned the other day to me that um, I think it was the city of Pittsburgh. They had last summer had to hire 12 full time people just to deal with cleaning off picnic tables in parks because of the mess that the lanternflies leave behind. We don't even talk about the actual damage the lanternflies are doing, but just the mess they leave behind and just the sheer numbers that they have. Yeah, and that's not something anybody wants to have to see happen here in Jameson. No, you don't want to spend our money on that. My goodness. So uh, in terms of, of funding, you did get about $237,000 for phase one from the city. Two seventy seven. dollars oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> I had a story uh, this week or actually recently about the county opening up its application for occupancy tax grant program to use lakes and water 
for lakes and waterway projects, but those funds aren't available for most of the Chattacoin River. In fact, it's only, as we call it, this is primarily why we've seen so much work on the upper Chattacoins, because that's where you've been able to use that funds. Are there other places that you know that you can access funding for, for the lower Chattacoin? Um, it'll be part of this project as well to actually identify those potential funding streams. Um, but yes, I'm very confident that money is available. It's early innings still, so this is you know this is the first phase right here. But um, but just to give you an example, um, the Chautauqua Center has um, has this, a very strong interest in improving their riverfronts because they like to beautify the area and have really you know their 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 visitors, their clients actually enjoy the scenery there. Um, their parking lot, unfortunately, sits on top of a turtle nesting area, so um, they've got some challenges with that that they're trying to mitigate as well, like acknowledging that, you know, there's un- unexpected consequences here and they're trying to mitigate that. So they applied for some funding from the Commons Foundation and actually received that um, to contract with the Watershed Conservancy to actually come up with a plan to improve that section. And actually Commons decided to just give the money directly to the Watershed Conservancy so we can get going right away. So we're we're working with our corporate partners and our, our, our riverfront management, our, our riverfront um, property owners to, to improve their own backyards as well. So obviously the benefit to the city funding this, this project right now is going to benefit everybody on the river. There are 160 plus property owners that border the river, right? And Part of this project is to engage all these property owners, obviously, because we'll be working right in their backyards or behind their backyards. Um, but I would be really surprised if we are not going to run into other partners who would like to work with us to actually make this river better and, and energize it and activate it and stabilize it. Um, so there's that. Um, the other potential funding streams that we're looking at right now are state funds. So WQIP, the Water Quality Improvement Program, um, and this is like sits right in the sweet spot for this kind of project here. So I'm in conversations with the state already with the Department of Environmental Conservation right now because we need to have permits to work in water. Um, so that's that's already in process. So that also you know, puts the project on the radar for the state as well. So. Um, the, the the water quality in the river is tremendous and it, it's something that is really easy to not see if you're just looking at especially the lower Shadowcoin right now you look at crumbling infrastructure you look at retaining walls that are falling apart you look at garbage getting stuck in dams of trees in the water just obstructing the flow it's been ignored to death and it's it's amazing how great the water quality still is and, and as a result of that what still lives in that river so um improving the flow and, and just the logistical improvement of the river is is a piece of cake compared to like improving the biology biological quality of the river and fortunately we don't have to do that yet it's there it's just kind of simmering under the surface so if we can just bring that to light this river is going to bounce right back you know they're I've seen osprey fishing in the river. I've seen otter swimming through there. There's five kinds of turtles in there. We've documented 160 some different bird species just in the tree lines along the river. It's all there. We just don't see it. So, so not only are we going to fix this river up and make it nice again, but we're going to make sure that everybody who's there also sees that and appreciates that and hopefully enjoys it. But I think that will open up other opportunities for funding as well. And we're not even talking about 
the climate resiliency. The other thing that, that Jamestown has, which is a huge luxury, is, is not just a beautiful, healthy river, um, but we actually have sections of floodplain habitat within our city limits that could be developed for recreation, but could also be developed for recreation with, in the back of our minds, um, the potential to develop them for climate resiliency. Nobody in the county, nobody in the city is really talking about climate resiliency yet. And, and you know, it's a controversial topic, but I think all of us can agree that our weather patterns have been pretty strange lately and they're just getting worse and worse. The fact that the Shadokon River, um, at last March, Stockwell Lake was about six inches above the historic low, like the lowest ever recorded for Stockwell Lake, like we're at drought level. We hadn't got a lot of snow last summer, um, last winter. Been really dry. Um, the lake was really, really low, <clears throat> and then it just started raining in the spring, and it hasn't stopped since. So, our river has been at flood stage since about May at this point. Constantly, it has not gone down, not significantly, not for any period of time. So, usually in the summer, the lower Shadowcoin, when the dam is closed, could sometimes dry up to a trickle. Right now, there's four or five feet of water in there, and some places ten feet. There are big holes in there. So we're dealing with some real logistical challenges, actually removing some of the debris from the river because the current is so strong at times because the, the dam has been open nonstop just trying to lower the lake level and we can't keep up with it. So we're, we're, going, into, we're going into snow season right now with the river already filled to the rim. And that's not good. <clears throat> so having the ability to direct floodwaters away from people's properties or people's businesses and having areas that we could temporarily flood for flood water retention um, within city limits so that we can actually direct the water away from our valuable properties and keep people safe, properties safe. And that's huge. So we haven't even thought about that. So as part of this project too, when we're really taking a, a hard look at the river and what the potential is after we clean it up, that's, a, that's going to be a big part of that. And you know, there's federal funding, state funding available for climate resiliency that we're not even tapping into. So we're not even competing with other projects over scarce resources. There, there are entire funding streams out there that we're not even looking at yet. Mm-hmm. And as mentioned before, we you know, obviously when it comes to visuals, we can't do that very easily on radio. But if um, I'm someone that wants to see mm-hmm. this, I always say you drive down Second Street uh, around like the, I call it, you know, the Tim Hortons and, and Wendy's and all that section. So you look over at the river and you can see it from the road. And as long as you're not trespassing or bothering mm-hmm. anybody, you can park in those lots. You can look down and see exactly everything you're talking about right there and see the immediate problems. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I think especially in that section right there, there, um, last week there was a, uh, an emergency closure of the dam. The water level needed to be dropped temporarily. And for a span of about four hours, the river was literally dry, which is the first time in six, seven months that I've actually been able to see the bottom of some of these log jams that we've been trying to look at to assess how big they really are, which was really helpful. Um, but it also just kind of hit home. Like I've been looking at these these properties for months now, for years, really. Um, but I, I knew that the river was really close to a lot of properties and you see the banks actively caving away and eroding away. Um, but there's some sections along Second Street where what I thought was a, a mud-covered bank that the river was scouring against are actually foundational walls of businesses. Like their their buildings literally touching the river at this point, with nothing between them and the water. Um, so, yeah, we need to get on top of this. Right, that really drives it home that you know it's it's we're not just doing this because we want to make things look pretty. I mean, we're thinking about you know the economic impact 
to local businesses and uh, and thus you know property owners. So I, and, and sometimes it's it's a little gross to talk about you know there, but there's a, the money impact, but and you know doing it simply because of that, but that is a big plays big into this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and it's you know it's. It... It's an it's an incredible opportunity for us to be proactive because I'm not kidding here. Accidents will happen. They will happen in the near future. There there are trees that are leaning across the river that are growing at right now at a 45 degree angle, and it's anybody's guess when they're going to go. They're huge trees, and any of these trees has the potential to at least temporarily block the river when it's in flood stage. And we have no telling where the water is going to go when that happens. I can I can point at at least a dozen trees that can do that at any point right now, any day, any hour. Um, and the river has already jumped its banks in a few places because of these kind of tree falls. So, um, we now have islands in the city that were not there before (laughs) and the river has carved out entire channels. It's unbelievable. It's really, it's worth watching. We're, we're definitely documenting everything right now because it'll be a really amazing before and after. But, um, yeah, the, the, the potential for real property damage for businesses to literally, you know, lose their parking lots. Like I'm standing in the river sometimes near Second Street and I'm looking up at the banks and I'm looking at the back of parked cars right there. They're like several feet away from the, the top of the bank. The bank is probably 15, 20 feet high there and I can watch it being undercut by the river with the cars parked on top of it. It's just a matter of time before something happens, right? So. We can't unsee this. We can't unnotice this kind of stuff, right? So now that we know that this is happening, we can't just not act on that, right? So, um, so let's do this now. And it's it's obviously it's a big project, and it's going to cost money. But the amount of money it would cost to just piecemeal do damage control as banks are failing and as businesses or residences are actually you know being impacted is going to be astronomically higher. And the only way to do this is to do it at the right scale. Like you cannot do it as one property at a time, you know, one backyard at a time because it it doesn't work. You can remove all the invasive plans from one parcel and you're surrounded by a sea of it everywhere. You know, you can keep doing that. It's like mopping with a faucet running, right? There's no point to that. So you have to do this with the right time frame in mind and with the right scale in mind too. So doing this for the entire river within Jamestown city limits makes sense because, you know, thankfully Jamestown city council is willing to pay for this, but um, we need to keep doing this. Once we're done with the Jamestown section, I'm hoping we can go into Falconer and, you know, Falconer park is completely overrun with invasive. It's, you can't even walk the trails most of the summer because they're not there and they're completely buried. Um, So only if we, continue this kind of proactive work can we truly make this river healthy and keep it healthy you know if we just do the jamestown section and then just wait you know, stuff will grow back from the falconer side or come in like, people don't realize that well a lot of people do realize but <laughs> but you know, we are at the source of this river Chautauqua lake is the source of the shadow river all the water that's in Chautauqua lake is coming from the hillside surrounding Chautauqua Lake. If you're in the middle of the lake and you're out on your pontoon boat and you just do a 360, that's it. You see the entire watershed right there pretty much. There's tributaries coming in and then there's rainwater and groundwater coming from the the wells and, and the hillsides all around it. So this is as good as it gets in terms of water quality. It's like this is our water. It came from Chautauqua County right from the middle of the county. So any kind of pollution that goes in there is ours. We put it in there. We can't blame anybody else upstream from putting it in there. So so we have this luxury of actually starting this cleanup from the source and we're just going to work downstream. And so if we do this right, 
we shouldn't have more coming in from upstream because there is no upstream, right? So if we keep going, we can really activate this river and clean it up. And the kind of economic potential that is being discussed for the upper part of the Shadokun River, there's no reason why we couldn't continue that all the way through the city and benefit neighborhoods that are often ignored that are along the lower side of the Shadokun as well, right? And just having opportunities for people in those neighborhoods to actually enjoy the river rather than being afraid of it <laughs> is... It's huge. So I, I, I see this not just as a cleanup project and as a restoration project, but I, I see this as a real community activation project. Mm-hmm. Is there a way that I, I say regular citizens, but I mean, either citizens, whether they're homeowners or uh, business owners or just people like me who don't have I don't have a house on the river can get involved. Um, you know, obviously, when you're talking about removing trees and lo- large limbs from the water, that's left to the professionals. But is there some way else that people can get involved with this project? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to need a lot of help. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the plan really is to, um, <clears throat> so there's several phases to this project. Let me just quickly run through this. So first phase is cleanup. So removing the trees from the banks that are about to fall, because if we just clean the river and a year down the road, everything is back down on the ground again, there's no point. So removing everything from the river that needs to be removed and removing the trees that are going to fall in the foreseeable future from the banks. Um, that's phase one. So once you remove those trees, you're also leaving the banks, expose them more vulnerable again than they were already. And like I said earlier, you you, you remove the last little bits of shade from the banks as well. So you create even better conditions for these invasive species to, to spread even harder. So we have to follow this up immediately with a targeted removal of invasive species. And that's a project that you know, will hit hard early on, but it, it will have to continue for a year or two or three to make sure that a lot of these plants have a um, they keep coming back for years and years and years. So this is a longer term project, but we'll see the impact pretty quickly. And we need to remove these invasives before we can plant the native plants because the invasives will grow faster and harder and they will outcompete anything we try to plant in here. Um, so there's a logical and sort of necessary sequence to removing the trees, removing the invasives, and then starting to stabilize the banks with native plantings. So those are the first few phases. And at the same time, as we're working there, we'll we'll start to look closer and closer at the river. We've been looking at the river for quite some time, but you know, being in it and seeing some of these challenges um, that will really inform um, this, this master plan that we'll also provide. So the plan is really to actually come up with a document at the end of this two-year period that provides a roadmap to how can we improve or what are our options to improve the Shadowcoin as a whole. And also it will include that list I mentioned of all the properties that, you know, all the projects that need to be done. So we'll, we'll identify individual projects and, um, you know, prioritize them. You know, the most dangerous, most unstable banks will be prioritized and we'll, we'll define you know, the work that needs to be done. We'll also try to find potential funding streams so that as this project's already progressing with the help of the ARPA funding, um, we can start to line up future project funding for additional stabilization that needs to happen beyond the scope of this project. But as part of that plan, we will be hosting community outreach events as well. We want everybody's voices to be heard. We want people to, well, we want people to see the river the way we see it because a lot of people don't. Um, but I also really would like to hear and see the river the way you know, property owners see it there, like. I don't have a property on the river either, but do people's basements flood all the time? Like, are, is, are you paying property taxes over a backyard that keeps getting smaller and smaller? You know, those are the kind of things we need to know um, so we can incorporate that in the plan too. And really, I would love to start thinking about 
creative ways to activate this river to really get people excited about using it and and you know by the time it's cleaned up the potential for kayaking is real um there's potential to connect the lower Shadowcoin. obviously if you come off shaco lake you have to portage past the dam you can't really kayak through the dam but 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 um you know if the water level is appropriate and it's another thing too we need to look at you know the the water control structure at the water dam itself and I look at the regime to see if there are ways to actually change that so that we can make the river more safe or more usable but you could potentially um connect the lower shadow coin to the conowango creek and to the cob waterway trails the county waterway trails so we can actually add a whole section of navigable water so people can not just come in from Stockwell lake but also also could potentially come in from the other side and just reach jamestown that way um, Hope's Windows has an amazing trail system on their property built by their volunteers. I don't know when, how long ago. It's almost completely buried by invasive species, but there's there's trail systems. There's a tiki bar in there. There's there's infrastructure there that clearly people cared enough about to put in place at some point, and it's just been orphaned. So there are a lot of pieces there that just need to be connected to really activate this river and make this a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, so we want everybody to be part of that and uh, certainly there'll be cleanups there's a lot of trash everywhere that's sort of stuck in the dams and stuck in all of the log jams and such that need to be cleaned up and a lot of it will be done on a sort of industrial scale but um um yeah i I, outreach is going to be a really big part of this project and community input is really important there as well so it's early innings. There will be a letter going to all of the property owners soon to let everybody know this project's happening. So just to give everybody a heads up, um, yeah, we're, we're moving really quickly right now because um, for a number of reasons, um, phase one really should happen as soon as possible. Like this cleanup should really be happening in the next two months probably. Um, the main reason being that the river is so clogged up with stuff right now that you know if we can improve the flow we can at least mitigate some of the the flood risks that we're facing you know if we do get snow at some point <laughs> it will melt at some point um you know springtime when the rains come and the snow melts and Stockwell lake is at flood stage you know i i i'm worried about what might happen in the jamestown section when that lake just kind of squeezes into a river right so so improving the flow will be huge um the other added benefit to doing the work now is that Hopefully the ground will freeze and we can get heavy equipment closer to the water's edge without sinking in the mud so we can get cranes and everything we need as close to the water as possible, which will expedite the actual cleanup. Um, most of the wildlife's dormant right now, so there's less impact as well. Um, and DC, there's a closeout period for work in water for to promote fish spawning. So between April 1st and June 1st or July 1st, um, I don't remember right now. There's a several month period where DEC will not allow work in the water because that's the time when all the fish spawn, when they lay their eggs and you don't want to impact that. Um, so ideally we'd like to have the, the largest obstructions out before April. Um, so yeah, so we'll be reaching out to property owners soon to let them know that you know there might be activity in their backyard that they're not used to, but also to, to start the conversations, to let people know, like, I, like if you have a hazard tree in your backyard, let us know, like it's part of the project, we'll remove it. Um, within reason, of course, but <laughs> but if it's something that truly will impact the river negatively, then it will be addressed. So um, so that will be the first phase to really start to reach out to the community. It's, it's 
been moving really fast, so we're kind of a little bit behind eight ball in terms of reaching out to people. But it's a two-year project. We'll have time to really get people's voices heard. If I'm if I'm a homeowner, um, how can I contact your office if I want to, you know, either talk to you more about this before the letters go out? Right. Um, just contact the Watershed Conservancy. Just talk to Watershed Conservancy. That's probably the best way, and they'll they'll pass the message on to me. So yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Great. Anything else you'd like to tell us about this project? It's exciting. I hope this is a sign of things to come. I hope that this is something that is not a one-off project where we just clean the river and just forget that it ever happens. I think that this is really, it, this, it's really a community effort, I think. You know, we're, we're only using community contractors to do all the work. Everything is getting done pretty much in-house here by people who live on the river and have a personal connection to the river. So I am absolutely confident it will get done really right because we all care. Um, and um I'm hoping that that's going to rub off. I hope that people will see that and hope that they'll start to care about the river too in ways that it hasn't been cared for in a long time. And um, yeah, I think this, if you look at all of the coverage over the upper Shadowcorn and you can see the excitement of how people see the Shadowcorn as one of the biggest assets for our community, which it really is. You know, Jamestown wouldn't be here if the river hadn't been here, right? This is the reason why they built the city right here is because the river was that big driver for the entire economy. Um, so let's make it that again, but let's make it something that works for all of us. That's not always keeping us up at night because you're not sure if your business is going to fall in the river or if your property is going to float away. Right. But let's make it an asset again. And, um, I think that this is a really exciting, really exciting time to be in Jamestown. You've been listening to us talk with Chautauqua Watershed Conservancy, Ecologic Restoration Manager, Twan Leaders. Twan, thanks for being here with us. Thank you for having me.